0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Now notice in this model for praying, the audience for our prayers, the audience for our prayers, our father, we approach our father in heaven as a daddy, a father who loves us, That's the audience of our prayers. And then notice the petition of our prayers. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. The Lord's Prayer is arguably the most famous and loved prayer in human history. But our familiarity with this prayer sometimes blinds us to the bigger principles it teaches us. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shows us how to use the Lord's Prayer as a model for our conversations with God. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome to this
0: Friday edition of Pathway to Victory. For the entire month of October, I've been guiding you through a teaching series about Jesus' masterful Sermon on the Mount. It's a series I've titled, 18 Minutes with Jesus. And notably, Jesus delivered this message at the Mount of Beatitudes on a peaceful site that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. Well, this coming spring, I'm going to include this magnificent site on the Pathway to Victory Tour to Israel. Hundreds of your fellow listeners will join us, and I'd love for you to come along as well. The dates are April 25th through May 5th. I guarantee that once you've witnessed the Holy Land for yourself, you'll never read your Bible the same way again. Please take the time to go to our website at ptv.org so that you can review the first rate itinerary we've prepared for you and, most importantly, reserve your spot while you're still able to do so. Well, in today's world, we have so many voices speaking into our lives, whether it's the news media, the Twitter sphere, or relentless advertisers. Everyone has ideas on how we should spend our time and our resources. No one cuts through all that noise any better than Jesus. His Sermon on the Mount is bold, brief, and clear. And that's the central focus of a brand new book I've written to accompany my teaching series. My new book is also titled, 18 Minutes with Jesus. While there's still time, be sure to contact Pathway to Victory and request your copy. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Honestly, now, do you ever find that your mind wanders when you try to pray? Well, welcome to the club. That's a struggle for all of us. And today we're going to hear what Jesus taught us on this important topic. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Prayer Life. What is the greatest discovery in human history? Some might answer, well, it was Copernicus and his discovery that the earth actually revolves around the sun and not the other way around. Some people might point to Newton discovering the law of gravity when an apple plopped on his head. Other people might point to certain inventions like Gutenberg's printing press or Edison's incandescent light bulb or maybe more recent discoveries like the personal computer or the smartphone. But as miraculous as those discoveries are, they pale in comparison to this one. You and I have the ability to talk to the creator of the universe anytime we want to, and by what we say, we can actually move him into action. Isn't that a remarkable thought when you think about it? Max Licato said it this way, prayer impacts the flow of history. God has wired his world for power, but he calls on us to flip the switch. Prayer is that switch that unleashes the power of God. I don't agree with a lot of what theologian Karl Barth said, but he was right when he said this, when we clasp our hands in prayer, it is a beginning of the uprising against the disorder of the world. Of course, that begs the question, how do we know if we're praying correctly? How do we pray in such a way that God hears us and unleashes his power? I'm glad you asked that question. Because Jesus answers that question for us specifically in the passage we're looking at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're right in the middle of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it 18 Minutes with Jesus because you can read the Sermon on the Mount in 18 minutes. And yet, Jesus talks about the issues that are most important to us. And in chapter 6, he's talking about how we should worship, a kind of worship that pleases God. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, it was all external appearance to them to look a certain way, to look righteous. But Jesus said, no, God's concerned about what's on the heart. And we talked last time about worshiping through giving. The Pharisees, when they gave money to God, they blew their little silver trumpet and gathered a crowd around them so everybody could see how holy they are. Jesus said about that kind of giving, when you do it to be seen by men, a peco, you have your reward in full. God stamps the paid in full on your receipt when you get earthly praise for your righteousness. It's the same way with the topic of praying that we're going to look at today. Another way we worship is through praying. And Jesus is going to say, when you pray, don't pray in order to be noticed by men. If you do, you have your reward in full. And just like the subject of giving, Jesus begins his discourse on praying by telling us how not to do it. Notice what he says in verse five. First of all, don't brag when you pray. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. Remember that word, upokrates, actor, somebody who wears a mask? Don't be a masked, two-faced person. For the hypocrites love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying in public. As we'll see in a moment, Jesus prayed in public occasionally. uh, Elijah prayed on Mount Carmel in front of thousands. It's the motivation of the prayer. The Pharisees did it so that they might be seen by men. Truly, I say to you that they have their reward in full. Remember the story Jesus told? We've talked about it often, Luke 18, about the two men who went to the temple to pray. First of all, you had the Pharisee. He lifted his head toward heaven He stood, there was nothing wrong with standing, that's how Jews prayed. He stood, but what was in his heart was the problem. He said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. Unjust, immoral, but I'm a righteous man. I fast, I pray, I give alms to the poor. In fact, God, when you think about it, you're lucky to have such a holy man as me standing before you. That was the Pharisee, the tax collector, far opposite. He didn't try to brag about himself. He beat his chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. Don't brag when you pray. Secondly, don't babble when you pray. That's what he says in verses seven and eight. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask them. The Greek word translated meaningless repetition is bataligeia, bataligeia. It's what we learned in English class is an onomatopoeia. Remember that from your grammar classes, onomatopoeia. An onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like what it's describing. You know, buzz or hiss. Those words sound like what they're describing. Same thing with bataligeiae. Bada, 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 babble, 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 babble. It's meaningless words. What does he mean, meaningless words? Well, he could mean words literally that have no meaning. Remember, the gift of tongues was a real gift in the Bible. It was the gift of languages, to be able to speak a language you didn't know to spread the gospel. That's the first time it was used in Acts 2. But by the time we get to Corinthians, the Corinthians had taken that real gift of tongues and had perverted it into something not good. They brought in their pagan worship practices to the church and part of those pagan worship practices was the practice of ecstasy, where these pagan prophets would work themselves up into a frenzy and they would uh, race around the altar and they would get so worked up they started speaking babble, just ecstasy, words that had no meaning. And some of the Corinthians took that to be the gift of tongues. Now, Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't use words that have no meaning. By the way, when Jesus prayed his most important prayer, the prayer in Gethsemane, or the prayer in the upper room for the unity of believers, he prayed in a way that was intelligible. He used words. When Paul prayed, he used words that had meaning to them. Don't pray empty words. Or he may also have in mind just trite banalities that have no real meaning. Have you ever found yourself when you're praying to you kind of put your mind in neutral and you find yourself going into these meaningless phrases? Bless, bless, bless. That's one of them. Or lead, guide, and direct. Lead, guide, and direct. Can somebody tell me the difference between leading, guiding, and directing? I mean, we just fall into these traps of praying that are empty words. They mean nothing. Don't do that. And notice he says part of this is meaningless repetition. Some people think if they'll just pray long enough and say the same thing over and over again, God will finally be coerced into doing something he doesn't want to do. That's how the pagans pray. Remember in 1 Kings 18 on top of Mount Carmel, the pagan prophets of Baal and Asherah were praying that their false god would answer with fire and Consumed the sacrifice. They had prayed on the altar. And First Kings 18 says, they started praying in the morning and they prayed until the time of the evening offering, but the heavens were silent. We're not to be like that. Somebody said it's a heathen folly to measure prayer by the yard. <laughs> we think the longer the prayer, the more effective it is. No, we would do well to take Solomon's advice in Ecclesiastes 5.2, don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you're on earth. So let your words be few. Your heavenly father knows what you need. You don't have to ask and ask and over and over again. Don't pray. Don't, uh, pray by babbling things that are meaningless repetition, and certainly don't brag when you pray. Now he's going to tell us how to pray, beginning in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now again, let me say, Jesus is not condemning public praying. Jesus prayed before he fed the 5,000. Thousands heard it. Jesus prayed before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Elijah prayed on Mount Carmel before thousands of Israelites. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. But as my friend David Jeremiah says, our prayer life ought to resemble an iceberg. You know, only one-eighth of an iceberg is visible above the water where everybody can see it. Eight-ninths of the iceberg are below the water where nobody sees it. Our prayer life ought to be like that. We ought to pray a few times in public, but the majority of our prayer time ought to be in private. By the way, Dale Moody had a great line. He said, pray short in public, pray long in private. We get it reversed. Have you ever known people that tried to get all their prayer time in while they had you as a captive audience? No. When you pray publicly, pray short. Pray long in private. Pray in your inner room. What does he mean by your inner room? That word tamion, Greek word tamion, means a storage room where treasures are kept. I love that picture. When we go before God, we're entering into a storeroom. Just think about it. God in his storeroom in heaven has all kinds of gifts he wants to give to you. Your name is written on those gifts. They're yours for the asking, but you have to ask. James said, you have not because you ask not. If there are any regrets in heaven one day, I think it will be if we get to see what could have been ours if only we had had the faith to ask. Go into your inner room. I think this is also saying that we need a private place to pray with God. And as we'll see in a moment, prayer, you can talk to God anytime and ought to. It ought to be a continual discussion throughout the day. But there also ought to be an appointment time and place that we meet with God. Do you have such a place? I remember when I was in high school, my place to pray was in a park right across from our high school. I went there almost every morning to pray before classes. When Amy and I first got married, there was a little ball field a couple of blocks from our house that I would walk to to pray at. Today, it's a couch in my office that I kneel beside every morning and go through my prayer list. We all need a place to pray and an appointment with God as well as a continuing conversation with God. Secondly, he said, when you pray, not only pray secretly, pray simply, pray simply. In fact, in verse nine, he's gonna say, pray in this way. And he's going to give us that prayer that we know is the Lord's prayer. Now stay with me on this. Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer. In fact, did you know there's no record of the disciples ever actually praying this prayer. In fact, no prayer in the New Testament is this prayer ever recorded, except here in Matthew six, and then the Luke six version of it, the synopsis of it in Luke's account. But outside of that, uh, the New Testament Christians didn't pray this word for word. This is not a mantra to be repeated word for word. It's a model for how we're to pray. Pray in this way. And it's not an incantation, incantation or a code we have to unlock. It's a simple prayer. Now, notice in this model for praying, the audience for our prayers. The audience for our prayers, our Father. People ask me, Pastor, when we pray, do we pray to God the Father? Do we pray to Jesus the Son, or do we pray to the Holy Spirit? What did Jesus say? You pray to your heavenly Father through the authority of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. But our prayer is addressed to God the Father, our Father. Now, that term Father in English, it has a certain formality to it that I don't think Jesus intended necessarily. You know, uh, when our girls were little and living at home, if they wanted something from me, they didn't come into the living room with little frilly dresses and their hands clasped and looking like characters out of little women saying, father, oh, father, could we please? No. They'd say, hey, dad, or if they really wanted something, daddy, you know. They knew that would get to me. Daddy, would you consider, would you do so-and-so and 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 so-and-so? Well, the word here Jesus uses, it's Aramaic. Jesus probably spoke Aramaic, which is a cousin of Hebrew, is the word Abba. You've heard it translated Papa or Daddy. That may be a little too informal. Maybe a better rendering is dearest dad, dearest father. It is a term of relationship. We approach our father in heaven as a daddy, a father who loves us, who wants the best for us. That's the audience of our prayers. And then notice the petition of our prayers. Jesus mentions five things that we ought to pray for. Two are related to God and three are related to us. First of all, pray for God's reputation to be honored in your life. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed is a translation of the Greek word hagiatso. It means holy, to be holy or to show to be holy. You know, one of the chief characteristics, attributes of God is that he is holy. Holy, holy, holy. That word holy comes from a Hebrew word that means to cut, to separate. When we say God is holy, what we're saying is he is separate than anything here on earth. He is a cut above anyone or anything. That's what we mean by the holiness of God. And our lives should be dedicated to reflecting the holiness of God, of pointing people to God as the one true God. That's why we are left here on earth to glorify God, to turn people to God. That's why God answered Elijah's prayer in 1 Kings 18. Just 64 words in the English language language, and yet it brought down the fire of heaven to consume the sacrifice. Remember twice in 1 Kings 18, 36, 37, Elijah said in his prayer, let it be known today that you are the true God. And then he said, Lord, answer my prayer that this people may know that you are God. That's the kind of prayer that God answers And when we pray, we ought to remember our purpose in life is to glorify God. Hallowed be your name. Secondly, he said, pray for God's will to be done in the world and in your life. Pray for God's will to be done in the world and your life. Your kingdom come, verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we talk about God's kingdom, what are we talking about? Listen, a king's kingdom is wherever what the king wants done gets done. That's what a king's kingdom is. It's the area over which he has authority. So where is God's kingdom? What is God's kingdom? Where is it that God's will is being done perfectly? Did you know God's will is being obeyed perfectly? Throughout this entire universe... Every square inch of this universe is subjected to the will of God, except one small corner of it, a little dirt ball called planet Earth. And there's a little rebellion going on right now on planet Earth against the creator of the universe. But soon that rebellion is going to be quelled forever. And when we're praying for the kingdom of God, your kingdom come, We're praying for that future time when what the king wants done here on earth is actually going to be done. We know in Bible prophecy that that time, first of all, is the millennium when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom. Christ rules from Jerusalem and everyone will be subject to the king until the very last moment, but we won't go there too complicated today. But for the most part, everybody will be subject to the king and then God will Destroy this present heaven and earth, and in the new heaven and the new earth, everyone will obey God. That's the kingdom of God. We're praying for that future kingdom to come. But in a sense, we're praying for aspects of it to come now. We don't have to wait completely for there to be an end to evil. We need to do what we can right now to push back. Against evil in the world. I don't like the term social justice because it carries with it a lot of political baggage and uh, connotates things we don't mean. But I do believe there's such a thing as biblical justice. And I think Christians ought to pursue biblical justice. We got a taste of that this week over the last 50 years. 63 million innocent babies were butchered in the womb because of Roe versus Wade. And this week, we got a hint, a prediction that that's about to end, that there will no longer be a holocaust on the unborn in our country. And that is a good thing. And the reason that's happening is not just because Christians prayed, oh, prayer is... The best thing we can do, it's the first thing we should do, but it's not the only thing we can do. As Christians, we worked and worked. We prayed. We tried to elect officials that would say, we're going to obey God as a country. We're going to hold the human life to be sacred and sanctified. That's God's will. You likely noticed by virtue of my comments regarding the Supreme Court that today's message was delivered before the justices decided to overturn Roe v. Wade. Their courageous pro-life decision was bolstered by countless Christians who have prayed for this miracle for nearly 50 years, and many have spoken up for the sanctity of human life as well. Listen, that's what makes the study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount so powerful and relevant. I've called this teaching series, 18 Minutes with Jesus. In a moment, David will explain how you can request the audio CDs and the video DVDs for the entire study. But right now, I want to make sure that you've reached out to request your copy of my brand new hardcover book. It's also called 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. This special offer will expire one week from today when our study concludes. So while there's still time, please call, write a letter, or more simply go online to ptv.org and request your copy. It comes with my thanks when you include a much-needed and generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Your gifts truly make a difference. In fact, the results are astounding. We hear from grateful school teachers who listen to this program before they step onto their secular campuses. We hear from police officers who find Pathway to Victory an oasis during their dangerous duties. We hear from pastors and church leaders who use our resources as curriculum with their congregations. And it's all because we have partners like you who give generously to Pathway to Victory. So please keep up the good work. And thanks so much. David.
1: Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new book by Dr. Jeffers called 18 Minutes with Jesus. Call us at 866 2965 or visit our website at ptv.org. Now, when your investment in this ministry is $100 or more, We'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series, along with a study guide. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or simply go to ptv.org. You could write to us if you'd like. Here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Hoping you have a great weekend, and then join us again Monday when Dr. Jeffress continues his new series called 18 Minutes with Jesus. That's right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.